Blog Talk Radio. Funky, Funky Writers Show is now in the air, spotlighted on BadRedHeadMedia.com as a top author podcast on the web today and called a total blast of a show for writers. My name is Robert Batista, and with over 200 shows now in cyberspace, the Funky Writers Show is now a cultural icon. Connect with us on the exciting Twitter page by going to at the Funky Writer. I began blogging around July 2015, and on the 26th of that month, I went to my first open mic. Things moved pretty quickly from there, and that in itself shows the grace of God. The fact that doors were being opened for me so quickly, I wasn't smart. <laughs> LOL, it took a while for me to dig deeper and not try to hide my vulnerability because isn't that what poetry really is, an expression of feeling? These are the revealing words of today's guest, Raquel Rushing, a.k.a. Complex Simplicity. Welcome to the Funky Writer Show, Complex Simplicity. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure, homegirl. So, welcome, Michelle. <laughs> I am intrigued. I am intrigued by your insightful pen name, Complex Simplicity. Who is yeah. Complex Simplicity? Where did you get this name? Where did it originate from? Where did it originate from? It originated from. It originated from just me basically figuring out that we have all these different layers to us um you know like we get this question on job interviews a lot they say like what kind of fruit are you and in thinking about that I thought of myself more mainly as an orange because there's one thing that you see on the outside but there's all these different slices and that kind of like makes up our personality and so basically understanding that at a young age I was able to gauge people a little bit better and notice how complex we were as a people but then the simplicity comes in because when we allow God to move the way he wants to move then things become so simple, we're not always stressing and trying to figure things out. And so that's where the name came from, Complex Simplicity. Somebody actually asked you in a job interview what type of fruit you were? Yes. <laughs> it was the weirdest question I've ever gotten. I was like, what does that have to do with oh, this position? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so 
complex. How old were you when you decided to answer the call to being a writer? And what were some of your early writings about? You know what? There were actually two calls because I started writing when I was 13. And when I started writing as a 13, it was mainly as a way to express my emotion, to get out things that I didn't necessarily want to express to my parents or to my friends. It was just something private for me um, to have to myself. But when I got to high school, my best friend and I, we formed a group, and I was a rapper for a while. She was a singer. And after high school, we kind of went our separate ways, and I thought that I was done with writing until last year when I decided that maybe this is really what I was born to do, and I decided to answer the call again. Um, So, yeah. So that second time you answered the call, um, was, was your writing political? Was it faith-based? Uh, what type of writing was it in that time? Actually, the very first piece that I wrote when I first started writing again was called In or Out of Touch. And it was basically explaining how we can be so in touch with people around us, yet we know nothing about what's going on in their lives. And it was basically about me feeling kind of guilty, I think, for leaving California to try to forge my, you know, to follow, to forge my way in life basically by myself in Tennessee and it was basically about my lack of ability to keep in touch with my family back in California. And it probably came from like, yeah, a place of guilt, but it was, it was very um, random and I was kind of confused and I wrote it because I didn't, I hadn't been writing up until that point. On your website, I am complex There is a highlighted reference to something called the popular movement. Can you tell me what is the unpopular movement and how does it relate to you as a writer? The unpopular movement is based off the scripture, Matthew 16 and 26, which basically says, what is the benefit of man to gain the world but lose his soul? What's worth more than your soul? And the movement uh, began kind of as like a a youthful movement, but it's also spread to adults now. And it's basically like I'd rather be – popular with God than be popular with the world. So it's basically telling people to, it's okay to be who you are. It's okay for you to be different. It's okay to you to be weird. It's okay for people to look at you and think that's not normal because we weren't created to fit in. We were created to stand out. And with that, it's just basically giving people the ability to be who they are. And with me as a writer, the shirts from the unpopular line, the clothes line, they kind of, they're used as a way to express what you feel by just wearing what you wear. So instead of, you know, uh, writing something like a whole piece or something, then you would just wear one word as a statement. And it's also a conversation starter because people see me wear like an unpopular shirt and they're like, well, why are you unpopular? Because everybody wants to be popular, right? So it's uh, definitely a conversation starter. Well, it definitely caught my attention, definitely. So you are, in fact, the creator of the unpopular movement or did you join in with uh, some other people? I am, yeah, the creator of the popular movement. My manager, um, she actually helps run the unpopular movement, but um, definitely on the creative side, it's just me and her, her and I, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We're writers. We can say it any way we want to. (laughs) (laughs) So so let's let's jump into your groundbreaking book called It Could Be all so simple, the collection. Let's start with the book's title. Talk about how you arrived there. What's the meaning? 
it could all be so simple, basically expresses um, how easy it becomes when we just let go and let God. So it kind of ties into my name, the complexities of our reality, but the simplicity of how easy it can be is the same thing with the title that, you know, it can be simple if we stop making it harder for ourselves. And in that title, I kind of wanted to grasp, like, everything that I was going through when I figured out that writing was my passion. And, you know, it took it took a lot of basically me retraining my brain to say, like, hey, I can go out here and live my dreams. I could be a writer. I don't have to conform to what society says and just go get a traditional degree and then work for someone else for my whole life. And once I stopped trying, once I, like, like unbrainwashed myself from thinking that, you know, it was impossible for me to do these things, then that's when, you know, it, everything became a lot more simple. So the premise of the book is um, that we have a tendency basically to get in our own way. Is that it? Correct. Right, right. Definitely. And it basically so, describes mm-hmm. – I was going to say it basically describes, um, like, over the book, you'll see me grow, like, as a writer, like, not only artistically, but literarily, you'll see, like, the transitions and, and how easy it became for me to write based off of me trying to force myself to write some pieces. You can kind of see the forcefulness, and you can kind of see the, the, flow, the flow of the ones that were just kind of flowed through me. So when did you know complex that you wanted to write this book when did the spirit hit you exactly hit me um and gave me I basically had a dream and in the dream I was like I had this book and I was like okay I don't really understand (laughs) the dream and I was like I don't get it like I'm not going to write a book and I had just started doing spoken word um I went to my first open mic in July like you said earlier and when I went in July I was kind of like okay I think I could do this but around that same time I had this dream and I was like, well, I'm not going to write a book. And a few months later I had basically was like, yeah, I'm writing a book. And um, in that promise, that doesn't mean that it didn't come without sacrifice. It doesn't mean it didn't come without struggle because it did. But I also knew that I had a promise to hold on to. And so that kept me a lot of the time from giving up or basically saying like, this is too much um, and just, you know, trying to go away with it. Let's talk about the publishing process. A lot of poets, writers, authors, up and coming, always want to know how did people get published? How do, how do books get published? Independently, self-published, and things like that. How was your book published? And talk about any challenges you experienced in getting this story out to the world. I got my uh, book published through Go to Manuscripts Publishing. And they're a, and a publishing company out of out of Savannah, Georgia. It was, you know, at first, the, when the process first started, it was very simple. Um, you know, I reached out to them. They reached back. Um, they actually act. They actually uh, encouraged me to go look at other publishing companies because they didn't want me to kind of settle because I was the first. You know, that I wanted them to do it. And they were like, "No, go look at your other options. Um, do you want us to self-publish this book? Do you want to go through us to publish this book?" And there were just a lot of options with that. And so I decided to actually let them publish the book. And the process went fairly easy until you know it was time for um, for printing. We had a few printing errors. Um, like one, at one point the book wasn't uploaded properly. At one point 
the cover was not the correct uh, dimensions for printing, and but it was nothing that would def- it was nothing that stopped the process. It was just little hiccups along the way, but overall, I think that my publishing company did an excellent job, and um, yeah. What's their name? Golden what? Golden Manuscripts Publishing. So would you recommend Golden Manuscript Publishing to other writers? I would. It all just depends on what they were looking for, but I would definitely recommend them. Um, I knew that I wanted everybody I wanted to touch the book, I wanted them to have some type of safe system in place, and I chose not to go with a larger one or to self-publish to, like, create space because I wanted someone who cared as much about what I wrote as me to be the ones to bring it to life. Complex, you have graciously agreed to read some of your poems for us. Can you do the first one now and set up the piece before you read it? Yes. Okay, so the first piece I'm going to do for you all is called You Are, and it's basically a testament to women, um, basically explaining to them that you are more than the world sees you as, or you are more than you see yourself as. Um, and so it's definitely a, a pro-woman piece, and, um, you know, for women who just feel like they need a little bit more encouragement. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Freaked out, insecure, emotional. You tell the world you're fine, right? But that's not how I see it, so... You can say what you want, but your eyes don't lie. Speak from your mouth that you're okay. I could tell you want to cry, see. Daddy never told you how beautiful you are, and Mama never told you that you're taking it too far. Look, you won't reach a peak steady maxing out those credit cards. And hanging out at the club, it won't help you find a real star. Your reality is crashing, but you're content with imagining. Try to get attention from those archer-back challenges. They say you learn from your mistakes, but you don't want to remember. Don't want to let them see you down. Better grab your concealer. You don't have to hide from me. I can truly see your soul. In the lie that is your life, I can see it's getting old. You know you need some help, but don't want to seem like a wimp. Put your pride to the side. I can see it in the strength, playing down your intellect and dealing with the disrespect. While you're pushing out your arm, receiving nothing but neglect, it isn't right that you cry yourself to sleep so many nights and deal with phone calls from ex-girls trying to fight and I almost believe that last smile, but not quite, because your eyes are getting dimmer and you're shutting out the light. Spirit of a country girl, but was raised in the city. Clever, bright, brilliant, witty. Who put him in a position to make you feel so TLC's unpretty? No one. So if you hear nothing else, then please hear this. Light skin or brown skin, girl, you are exquisite. You are a woman who will one day be a priority to a man. Not some fly-by-night operation, but the center of his plans. You are the mother of the next generation. Not a vessel simply used for deep penetration. You are a gift to the lives you touch. No stories go untold. Giving others around you a reason to hold on. You are the source of an inner glow equivalent to the sun. The definition of the woman in Proverbs 31, when you're ready, I'll reintroduce you to someone who can truly heal you, who already knows your heart and your mindset too. Now, I didn't say it would be easy because I know it's not true. Just stay focused on the growth like I know you want to. You are beautiful. And that beauty, it comes from inside. You are a God through a woman who no longer has to hide. You are endless possibilities. I know this to be true. You are love, but besides God, no one can love you like you because you are. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, Complex, you are a spoken word artist who has done open mics, as you said earlier, and performed for audiences. Talk about how it is reciting on a platform for a crowd of people. Yeah, I know it's um, a little different. I know when people hear, like, poetry book, that's why I kind of explain that I'm a spoken word artist, too, because um, I definitely draw from, like, lyrical background. Um, it's a little different than, like, you know, like just only read-along poetry, which there's both in the book. Um, but being on, I guess, on a platform, it's, it's a lot different um, because you, you tend to draw off the, the crowd, like the energy from the crowd. So you would know that if the crowd is not giving you much energy, then you have to exert a lot more energy for them to kind of give it back to you. So like a transfer of energy kind of thing. Um, and also you have to – sometimes you go to places where it's going to be uncomfortable for you to say your message if you don't – know if the people will agree with your message. But that's all in, you know, me standing for unpopularity because if I have a message that I feel like needs to be heard, regardless if I have to stand alone or with a group, then, you know, I feel like I need to say the message. Um, so it's it's different. And, you know, you get those audiences where, you know, you don't really, you can't really gauge how they feel about <laughs> what you said, but then you get the audiences where there's a lot of feedback. Um, people are very... Um, they respond by, like, snapping um, during the piece, and that just kind of lets you know that, hey, I like what you said, or, you know, I feel what you said. So, yeah, it, just, it really just depends. It's a lot different from just, you know, just regular read-alone poetry, though. I will say that. Yeah, I remember the first time I recited my poetry. Um, it was on Edwards Air Force Base in California, right <laughs> right out of Bakersfield. And um, I was in the Air Force, of okay. course, and um, – we entered a talent show, and, man, I had some guys with the congas playing behind me, and, uh, man, I was ready. And uh, <laughs> we won the talent contest. And But like you awesome. said, it's, it's, a feeling, it's a feeling of no other. Then when I went back to New York City, I performed my works at, um, at clubs and places in New York. So, yeah, I, I'll always be a poet. You know, I write books and novels now, but poetry is definitely my first love. So, Raquel, I have a question for you. You are in the dimension you are in the dimension of youth. It is said that most people hit their stride as writers in middle age after they've gone through the fire and experienced the trials and tribulations of life. How do you feel about this perception? Um I think I don't think that's true. Because I think that we all live very different lives. Um, just because I'm a certain age doesn't mean I haven't been through a lot of trials. Um, it doesn't mean I haven't experienced a lot of heartache or suffering. Um, it doesn't mean that I can't equate what I've been through to someone of older age than me. So I don't really necessarily believe that. I believe that, of course, there's always a growing process. I think there's always a learning process. And I know that if I were to write a second book, that it would be very different from my first just based on the experience I've had with this book and based on the experiences of life that I've gained from that process. So I don't necessarily believe that it's middle age. I think it's just based on what you've been through and also what genre you're writing in because it's different, very different when I'm writing about my personal life or if I'm writing about, like, a fictional world, like if I'm just writing novels, um, so I think it, it really all just depends on, first of all, your experience in life, and then second, your perspective. Okay. 
let's talk about your book's impact. Uh, your book just came out with about two weeks ago. Um, last week. Last week. Okay. Let's talk about its impact on its readers. How was it could be all so simple received? What type of feedback are you getting? I'm getting a lot, a lot of feedback just from mostly, most of my feedback so far has come from people who kind of already follow um, me as a poet and that like my blog readers, they um, are very attuned to what's going on in my life. And, you know, their feedback has been incredible. You know, they send things like it's very, on time, um, like it's something in there for everyone, and they're all different ages. Like um, I have blog readers who are well on, you know, 50, and I have blog readers who are, you know, 20, 21, 22. So it's a definitely a, a variety of ages um, that are giving me the same kind of feedback that, you know, something has touched them. But, like, again, like I said, it's all in perspective because they can read the same exact line, but what they feel from that line could be two different feelings. So this book is 95% poetry. What does the other 5% consist of? In the other 5%, um, they're basically uh, letters, and in the letters I'm explaining to the readers where I was in my life what inspired me to write some of the pieces and or why, you know, some of the pieces seem to come off with a different vibe than the other pieces. So I'm just kind of explaining where I was in my life at the time and how the things that surrounded um, me were affecting my writing at the time. So can you read another poem for us now? I will. I'm going to read a piece called The Price of My Praise. And this piece is basically what encouraged me to look back on my life and basically um, say, like, you know, thank you for the fact that I'm still here. And it's basically why I choose to praise God, so to speak. A question was once raised. Sorry. (laughs) A question was once raised with The Price of My Praise. See, I already knew I was covered in grace. For his mercies are renewed upon me every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, lamination says. But more abundant is his love. Every time an ounce of life slivers through the darkness of the night, there cannot be both. So I boast. Not of anything that resides solely in me, but of his love. So is the price of my praise, you ask? No. What's the price of me not praising him is my response. For I serve the same God that closed the mouths of the lions when Daniel was trapped inside the den because he refused to worship the king. Instead, he dropped down to his knees and decided to pray like he did three times a day, exalting in praise to the most high God, not interested in worshiping a facade. Even Darius said that my God will endure forever. So what's the price of my praise? The same God that was with me the night of my first accident. For out of my peripheral sight, all I saw was headlights in the dark of the night, followed by the sickening sound of metal crushing metal when windows breaking and my hands shaking as I tried to secure my hands to the steering wheel to no avail as we were pushed up onto the side of the on-ramp and then fell, spinning 360s all the way down, and then spinning and spinning and spinning until I no longer heard a sound. God, am I even alive right now? To which he simply responded, open your eyes. And I did, to be greeted by broken glass and the smell of gasoline, and my passengers nowhere to be seen, you see. They were on the side of the highway out of harm's way and had left me, but not my God. So what's the price of my praise? 
the same God that created the heavens, the earth, and all of the universe in seven days, the same God that rewarded Abraham for his faithfulness as he was about to sacrifice his greatest gift unto the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, who provided me with just enough insight to see what my self-destructive behavior would do to me. I was filled with such hostility. So don't ask me about the price of my praise, you see. Slowly I was dying, or I had a death wish, and I never told my pops this because I knew he would flip. About the night I regained consciousness, driving 20 miles per hour down a 405 freeway at 2 a.m. when my windows were all the way down and my music turned all the way up. If I recall correctly, I think I left the party because I heard the cops were showing up. Slowly I tried to speed up while checking on my mirrors like, what? How did I even get here? See, even then I know enough to send up a quick, well, thank you, Jesus. But seriously, it doesn't take 12 credits to the philosophy of psychology for me to see how these deep-rooted issues were becoming bigger than the bigger picture of my life's value. I was drowning. But do you want to know what made me the biggest fool? The fact that I'd rather go out drinking than breathe the same air that my mother was married to. Hatred or self-hatred over the fact that I had so little control over my emotions that I was blessed and open at the seams, but it seems I didn't notice much of anything as I woke up the next morning and got ready for my college class. So it's the price of my praise you ask. The same God who allowed the Israelites to defeat the Amalekites as long as Moses' staff stayed raised. Still I pray, Yahweh. Even when I walk through the darkest valleys, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff comfort and protect me. The same God who commanded Jeremiah to stand at the doorway of the temple and tell all who were there to change their ways, for surely if they didn't, the evil behavior that they were committing would have surely committed them to death. Was what that could have very well been his last breath. The same God who continues to save me from my self-destructive tendencies. Because when I thought it was all over, he whispered to me, I can't let you go because I'm preparing you for greater. So it's the price of my praise. See, as a child, my mental image was tainted as I was moved to apostolic from Catholicism. And when you're into religion, there's a large difference. Knowing but not heeding, feeling hurt but not needing, except now I know that all I really ever needed was you. Now people hiding behind titles of hypocrisy are talking to me mockingly, for I know I'm now what I'm not going to be. And that's the cause of somebody else's damnation on my own. As far as I'm concerned, my only job as a Christian is to direct and listen, never to judge. In the direction of my direction is up above, but I digress. You see, I now understand that my life holds value. So not praising him is what I'm not going to do. Now let me ask you, what's the price of you not praising him? That's yes, <laughs> open your eyes. Open your eyes, and I see you did. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Complex, let's look at your approach to authoring a poem. We all writers have different ways that we write and we author. Do you start with a seed? Do you start with a seed or concept and then germinate it? And I was going to ask, have you ever dreamed any poems? But you answered that question a little earlier that you have. So how do you approach writing poetry? How do I approach poetry? Okay, so when I first began writing poetry again, a lot of the poetry kind of just flowed out of me. There was no editing. There was no um, – I didn't go back and change anything. Whatever I wrote down the first time right. was what I wrote down the first time. So as I, as I grew as a poet, I began going back and saying, okay, well, this is kind of a filler line. It doesn't need to be there. And right. especially when you're performing poetry, it's a little different because if you have that filler line, you still want to hold the audience, the attention of the audience. You don't want them to kind of check out during your piece. So um, a lot of that for me, I will say that I did start kind of planting seeds with like a few lines as I grew as a poet. But uh, originally it was just 
whatever I felt I just felt. And as I, as I, you know, went on in the book, you'll kind of see the pieces that were more thought out because they flow a little different or they're kind of strategic, especially in their structure. So let's talk about about your wonderful blog that you also maintain. What is its mission? And and how difficult was it to work on your book while keeping up with your blog? The mission of the blog on um, IamComplexSimplicity.com is just to basically – just provide hope. It's just words of encouragement. It's dealing with normal right. everyday issues. I talk about my normal everyday issues, but I always leave it with um, words of motivation or words of inspiration or just words of hope. And I definitely always direct um, the very last thing they read is something that's directed from the Bible. And it's just meant to provide people with, um, you know, like agreement. Like I understand how you feel. And I understand that sometimes it can be hard, but it's okay because, you know, it will get better. Times do get better. And it's basically, um, yeah, that's what it's for. And it was it was a little difficult. When I first started blogging, I was blogging twice a week, um, Mondays and Thursdays. And now with the book, with working on the book, with the clothesline and everything, it kind of became once a week and either Monday or Thursday. So there's a little inconsistency with that. Um, but I held on for a long time. I didn't start blogging only once a week until – around May of this year. So um, it was a struggle, but it's just because I was speaking from two different perspectives at the same time, if that makes sense. Like I felt like, you know, it was I was writing, but I was writing about two very different things at the same time. Right. right. Let's talk about Raquel rushing the person. Where did you okay. grow up? And- where did you grow up, and what was your childhood like? I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, California. Um, I didn't grow up in the most affluent neighborhood, but uh, we did okay for ourselves. I have seven sisters, so um, it was very interesting in our household. There was always people around. Say the least. Yeah, it was never a dull moment in the house. Like, my mother... <laughs> I thank God for her because we probably drove her nuts. <laughs> but um, there was a lot of girls, and there was um, – I have two brothers, but I grew up with um, one of my brothers in California. And so it was definitely always – I was I'm, I fall right in the middle. So there was always older people around. There was always younger people around. And um, that was kind of how their childhood was. What were some of the books and authors – that inspired you in your youth? You know, to be honest, I when I first started reading, I was reading um, literature that probably wasn't age-appropriate only because I had older siblings. And in that, whenever they would kind of leave something hanging around, I would just kind of pick it up. And it wasn't necessarily about the content. It was more so of me just being hungry for knowledge. Like, why did they want to read it? I just, I wanted to read it because I wanted to figure out why they wanted to read it. Not necessarily because I so was interested in it. So what books were that? What books um, that? I would say, like, have you ever, um, there's this book called uh, Sister Soldier. Um, well, Sister Soldier is called The Coldest Winter the Ever. The Coldest Winter? I think. The Coldest the Winter? The Coldest Winter mm-hmm. Ever. Right. And I think that's the first time that, like, as a child reading that book that I should not have been reading, it 
it really exposed me to like the world. I felt like um, it was definitely like a, a social shock because I was like, people really talk like this. People really live like this. People really do things like this. And um, I, I would say that book probably definitely forced me to grow up faster, not so much in the sense that I was growing up, but in the way that my mentality was, the way I thought. And I always tried to perceive like um, an older persona because I felt like if I pretended to be older, then my siblings would notice that I was around <laughs> as a younger sibling. So, um, but that's probably definitely around the books I was reading. It was basically like um, kind of young adult, uh, like new, you know, newly adult type books. But I did also, um, I've read a lot of um, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, there was another book. Uh, I read The Great Gatsby. I liked, I enjoyed that book when I first read it. Just, I mean, typically traditional books that we had to read for school, but I was more reading to build my vocabulary. Does that make sense? Like, um, I was just hungry for perspective and hungry for insight, more so than a good story. Okay. Now, you know, it's amazing. I read The Coldest Winter Ever a long time ago when it first came out, and I loved it. And um, those um, who, I, who also read it I talked to really enjoyed the book. The crazy thing was that Will Smith, actually it was Jada Pinkett Smith, bought the rights to The Coldest Winter Ever and was going to do it as a movie. So we were all excited, you know, because we knew that would have turned into a fantastic movie, but it, it seems right. like it fell through the cracks because they bought the, the rights like 10, 12 years ago. So, and it still wow. hasn't been made yet, so... You know, uh, I'm still hoping they do, but, um, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't seem like it now. So, anyway, Complex, the time has flown. So, in closing, I have a very interesting question for you. What message, okay. would, you, what message would you give to very young poets and writers just starting out? What would be your first piece of advice you would give them? Never stop writing. That would be my first piece of advice. Even when it feels like nobody cares about what you're writing, there's somebody out there who can relate to your story. There's somebody out there that needs to hear what you have to say because they're just waiting for somebody to say something to them. So never stop writing. That would be my first piece there's of advice. Somebody, there's somebody out there who needs to hear what you say. Words to live yeah. by. Thank you so much for that. So what's next for Complex Simplicity? What other irons do you have in the fire coming up? What other irons? So I have um, a book signing coming up in Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, All right. August 27th. Yes, next Saturday. And it's not like a traditional book signing. There will be other poets there. And we're going to kind of have like a whole poetry session. And after that, I'll go up and do a few pieces from the book. And I'll have a question and answer session where readers can fill, can answer, can ask me any question they want me to answer. And then I'll um, go ahead and start signing books. And after that, it's just um, refine the clothesline. I'm going to be doing a little bit of traveling um, to, you know, basically promote the book to go speak in different states. And after that, just start writing again. <laughs> Wow, I'm going to be out of town next Saturday. I'm going to ask my son to maybe go and see if he can 
he can video it. Uh, and I hope you take some video of, of that uh, next Saturday so I can check that out. Of course. Good, good. I'm sad I, I'm sorry I won't be able to make it. So um, contact information. If somebody wants to contact you and get a hold of you, follow you, go onto your site, please give out any contact information you'd like. Okay, if you guys want to follow me on Facebook, it's Complex Simplicity. Instagram, it's I am Complex Simplicity. Twitter is I am K Simplicity. Snapchat is I am K Simplicity. And if you want to email me, it is I am Complex Simplicity at gmail.com. You can find the clothesline on unpopularmovement.com and the blog on iamcomplexsimplicity.com. Covering all the bases. <laughs> yes. All right, I like that. <laughs> this has been the Funky Writer Show with me, Robert Batista. I'm at, at author R. Batista on Twitter. Look for my free short stories, Carmela's Dream and My Baby Has No Name, on smashwords.com. My guest has been the young and gifted and spiritual writer, Complex Simplicity. You can go to her site, IamComplexSimplicity.com, and feast your soul. Thank you so much, Raquel, for being a guest on the Funky Writing Show. Have a great evening. Bye now.